Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning. Today begins a mini-series, if you've been here with us, that we are entitling Questioning. Questioning. And what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks is kind of provide what is called an apologetic or a defense of the faith. It's actually really different. In fact, we're going to do this, these types of mini-series called Questioning a couple of times this year. So just kind of keep an eye out for it. And typically, and the reason why it's different is at Inspire Church, we typically preach expository, kind of through the word and kind of uh, um, verse by verse. But today we're actually going to preach outside of, outside of it. We're gonna, it's more of a talk conversation that we're going to have. And today and the next couple of weeks, we are going to answer the question and we are going to defend the existence of God. Amen. I'm glad you were excited, Ma Patty. Uh, we are going to prove that God exists today. <laughs> and uh, and I, I do want to say this. Uh, anytime the questioning series comes up, um, here's the challenge. Inspire Church, we have, been, uh, we, are, we have been around now for six years. And our heart is to know the story so that we could tell the story. And I think sometimes we can get real comfortable showing up to the Crown Plaza, and that's like the gist of your Christianity. It's kind of where it starts and where it stops. And so I want to challenge you, if you're a member here, what does it look like to be on mission? What does it look like to share the story with those who maybe are seeking, with those maybe who are doubting? What does it look like to invite folks to church? And, and, and I want to focus, kind of invite the skeptic. Invite the seeker or, or invite the one who's struggling with their faith. Yeah. You know, something I learned about uh, doubts and, you know, I think I get extra guilty when I get doubt, when I have doubts, because I'm not just a Christian, but I'm a pastor. I don't know about you, but I just kind of, there's extra guilt. Like, why am I doubting? I'm the one up here supposed to be certain and sure. But something that Pastor Timothy Keller said that has always stuck with me is I've learned to doubt my doubts. I think a lot of times we doubt our beliefs, but we don't often turn our doubt on our doubts. And there's so much more to that, but I just want to throw that out there because I know it's something that's been just kind of a, a real incredible tool in my life as I've grown in the faith. Now, as you, most of you already know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a pastor with a heart for the local church to learn how to tell the story and for us to not be intimidated by the other stories that exist. We're not meant to hide and to cower. We're meant to love and to be on mission. And so today's message is really gonna be built on the research of folks that are much smarter than I, and so instead of providing with kind of some links, what I'm going to do is if you are interested in receiving um, maybe some of the 
So before we get into today's talk, why don't we go ahead? Why don't you say a prayer for me? I'm going to say a prayer for you, and then, um, and then we will fire away. Heavenly Father, thank you for every mind, every brain in this room. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you do what I can't do. Take my words and illuminate them in the hearts and minds of every person, from the skeptic to the believer to the seeker to the one who's struggling with faith. Would you speak to them? Would you be with them? And would you make yourself known? Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Does God exist? Or maybe another way that we could pose this question, another way that we can go about it is when you look at the material world, where do you think all of it came from? Where did all of this come from? And by this, I mean this pulpit, (laughs) I mean this stage, I mean these microphones, the lights, the chairs, the walls in this room. But by this, I also mean this world and this universe that holds everything in it, including you and I. Where did it all come from? Now, here's what's really interesting. Like with all of our intellectual power, Right? With all of our scientific breakthrough and, and, and technological advancements, you might be surprised to know that really there's only four possible answers to this question. Where did everything come from? There's really only four basic answers. Now, you say, well, I could come up with way more than that, but they're all, they're, everyone that you can come up with is just a variation of these four stories that we tell ourselves to try and explain where did all of this come from. So I'm going to just kind of give them to you up front and then we'll kind of work our way through. Number one, you could say in answering the question, where did all this come from? doesn't matter. <laughs> Let me finish that because some of you are like, yeah, you're right. But it doesn't matter because nothing is real. Right, right. You could say everything is just an illusion. Nothing exists. That's one possible story you could tell yourself. Or you, you could say everything that exists come from nothing. And so the answer to that question, where did all this come from? Is the, the story that you tell yourself is really a long time ago, nothing turned into something. Or number three, you could answer the question, where did all this come from? By saying it's always been here. That matter has always been here. That the universe itself is eternal. It's just always been. Or number four, you could say that the universe had a beginning and that there is something who is self-existent and eternal that created it all. So four things. Number one, it doesn't matter because nothing exists. It's all an illusion. Number two, all of it came from nothing. So once upon a time, there was nothing and then there was something. Number three, the universe has always been here. It's eternal. It's self-existent. Matter is eternal. 
Or number four, the universe had a beginning. And so therefore, something outside of the universe that is eternal and self-existent created it. Those are your four options. And if you say, well, I got another, all the ideas that you think of fall within those four categories. And can I say this? Nobody was there, right? Nobody was there. Nobody's there. Nobody was there when it all started. And so here's the kicker. There's no way to observe it or to test it. And so at the end of the day, because you weren't there and because I weren't there, every story requires some level of faith, regardless of how scientific you think it is. Like, you know, I, I was having a conversation uh, with an individual and we were talking about this and they were kind of rolling their eyes at this kind of faith that Christians have. And the reality is, is that if you push someone back all the way to the beginning, well, where did that come from? And where did that come from? At the end of the day, the undergirding, underlining foundation of every story is element of faith. Faith. Now, you can deduce logically and you can compare the stories as Tim Keller would tell us, but at the end of the day, every story comes down to a matter of faith. Now, what I want to do today is, and next week, make sure you're here, Pastor Roger, this is like his wheelhouse apologetics, so we're going to continue this series, but today I want to deal with one of the classical arguments for the existence of God. Now, when I say argument, we live in like a Twitter world, right? So immediately you start thinking of a bunch of people who are just kind of yelling at each other and just being very illogical. That's not what an argument is. Argument is providing premises, logical premises that ultimately have a logical outcome. And so what I wanna do is I wanna share with you a classical argument for the existence of God. And if you're taking notes, it's called the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument. And if you're not taking notes, inspiredchurches at gmail.com, send us an email. Definitely love to send you our resources. And so today, we will be dealing with the classical argument for the existence of God called the cosmological argument. Now, if you just look at the word cosmological argument, you'll see in their cosmos, right? The origins of the universe. Now, let me kind of, R.C. Sproul simplified the idea of this argument. And, and, and let me just kind of share it with you. Here's what the argument says. If something exists, then something has always existed. If something exists, then something has always existed. Let me lay out the progression of this argument. The progression looks like this. Something exists now then something must always exist. And that something that always exists must be eternal. And it must be self-existent. I'm gonna say it again because I realize it's very wordy. If something exists now, then something has always existed. And that something that has always existed must be eternal and self-existent. I will break this down for you. The first question we have to deal with today, or the first question we, we have to deal with is this. Does something exist? Does something exist? That's the first element, the first principle. Does something exist? 
Because there might be a few of you in here said, no, there's no such thing as reality. Everything is just an illusion, right? This is the idea that things only appear to be real. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Think the matrix, right? Have you ever seen the matrix? Like it's just, everything is just kind of an, an, an illusion. It's not really, it doesn't really taste like that. It really doesn't, it really doesn't feel like that. And, but even in the matrix, like once somebody gets unplugged, there is this kind of reality, but the idea that something doesn't exist is the idea that everything is just a figment of an imagination, right? And this brings us back to the theory of solipsism. And again, this is something that I've just learned, but it's a theory that suggests that I am the only real existing being right now. And that all of you are just a projection of my imagination. That this is just, this is my dream. None of you are real. Still, even if it is all a dream, like Biggie said, we have to give an account for the dreamer. Wow. Right, right. Or, or if this is all just an illusion, we have to give an account for the one who's being fooled. And we have to ask, ask the question, well, where did the dreamer come from? Or, or where did the one who's being deceived come from? Or, or is the dreamer, the illusion, is that eternal? Where did that come from? Is that self-existent? And so as you can see, at some point, even in an illusion, we have to come to the conclusion that something exists. I'm just trying to argue something exists. I think for the most part, I think, I don't want to be generalized, but I think all of us here would agree something exists. But just because something exists, we have to ask the question, has it always existed? This brings us to one of the most popular objections to the cosmological argument. And it's this way. Something has not always existed because something came from nothing. All right? So argument number one, nothing exists. This is just an illusion. Right? We've already kind of eliminated that. Argument number two is that something does exist, but it's not eternal. Because nothing made something. Are you with me? Now, something from nothing sounds silly, doesn't it? But like when really smart people give it like a really cool name, all of a sudden we're like, oh, right? And so what this has been called is spontaneous generation. You ever heard that before? In spontaneous generation... Scientists boldly proclaim, some scientists, that we have successfully and scientifically found a way to explain the origins of the universe without the necessity of a divine creator. Like, at last, we have got rid of God. We don't need God anymore. And what was this fantastic scientific breakthrough? What was this compelling story that allowed humanity to finally move on from God? Once upon a time, a long, 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 long time ago, there was nothing, and then suddenly there was something. Science. Boom. Man, 9 a.m. was a lot. They, they were laughing. I got to get a little better here. Spontaneous generation, right? 
And so, you know, put somebody up with some credentials and some degrees and maybe have kind of a British accent. And all of a sudden, we're like, man, that's it. That's the truth right there. Spontaneous generation. But even with its fancy name, this story of self-creation has major issues. Major issues. Namely, it violates two really important laws. Number one, the law of cause and effect. And number two, the law of contradiction. <laughs> let, let me explain. Like, no one in this room right now is afraid that a wild animal is going to manifest itself out of nothing and maul all of us. Well, I, I, I don't want to make generalizations. I'm going to assume that nobody in this room is afraid of something manifesting out of thin air and mauling us. Why? It's just, it's not logical. There's no precedent for it. It's never happened before. It's, it's absurd, right? Because nothing has no being. Thus, nothing has no power to bring about being because nothing is nothing. And it's really hard to talk about nothing because in talking about it, you make it into something. But it's nothing. It's nothing, nothing, nothing. It's nothingness. There's no way to explain it. I should just be silent. And that's not even nothing. Gosh, I might be losing myself. Let, let, me, let me say it like this. For something to create itself, it would have to be before itself. It's a contradiction. And, and, and logically absurd. Something out of nothing violates ek nihilio nihil fit, or out of nothing, nothing comes. And not only is it a contradiction, but it violates the law of cause and effect. Right? The law of cause and effect, which is really fundamental to the sciences. You can't do science without predictability. Right? You can't do science without testing and observing that if I do this cause, then this will be an effect. And therefore, I observe this. Like There's predictability built into nature. Maybe let me explain it from somebody a lot more smarter than I am. British philosopher W.T. Stace put it like this. If we did not believe the truth of causation, namely everything which has a beginning has a cause, and that in the same circumstances, the same things invariably happen, all the sciences would at once crumble to dust. How could you even do science if nothing was predictable? How could you even do a test over and over again if, you, if the result was always different? Are you with me? I believe him. Listen, if something was not, then suddenly is, then by definition, it's an effect. And if it's an effect, then it is derived, dependent, and conditioned on a cause. Again, you don't have to take my word for it. We can, here's another smart guy, astronomer and planetary physicist from NASA. I mean, that hits all the boxes. Robert Jastrow, he, he once said this, and he's a smart guy quoting a smart guy. He says, as Einstein said, scientists live by faith, by their faith in causation and the chain of cause and effect. Every effect has a cause that can be discovered by rational arguments. And this has been a very successful program, if you will, for unraveling the history of the universe. But it just fails at the beginning. Because what caused the effect? And if you say nothing, nothing can't make something. And if you say it's all an illusion, then you still have to 
you still have to account for the one who's being deceived. And you have to ask, well, where did the illusion come from? Where did the dreamer come from? Where did the deceiver come from? If you say nothing, it's contradictory. And it violates cause and effect. And therefore, you're not even moving in the realm of science. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> At this point, and this is really important, the cosmological argument leaves us with only two options. All right? Here it goes. So let, let's restate. If something is, then something has always been. That there's always been something, okay? And now we know it's not an illusion. And we know that nothing didn't all of a sudden produce something. So I'm only left with two possibilities. The cosmological argument leaves us with two possibilities. Number one, either the universe is eternal and self-existent. Or number two, there is something or someone outside of the universe that is eternal and self-existent. Those are the only two options available. This brings us to another argument against the existence of God, and that is that the universe itself is self-existent and eternal. Right? This is where we get materialism, naturalism, evolutionary atheists, like all of them kind of sit and fit in this, in this idea, this theory. And the idea here is that we don't need to go above. We don't need to go beyond. We don't need to go around or outside of the universe to explain how all of this got here. And here's the proposal. The proposal is that matter itself is eternal. Solid, liquid, gas, kind of these fundamental elements are self-existent and eternal. And, and you know what the key word is? The, they're impersonal. They got no personality, no mind. They're just these elements that are, 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 have, have existed infinitely, eternally. Now, one way that we can disprove this idea of the eternality and self-existence of matter is by looking at the Big Bang Theory. There's actually great evidence for this theory. You can be a follower of Jesus and believe in the Big Bang. You can believe that God created the bang. Sound like they're having a great time out there. Now, let me say this. Edwin Hubble, most of you know about kind of Hubble satellites. In 1920, he discovered that the universe is expanding, right? And Hubble deduced that if you reverse time, if you reverse time, then what was expanding would all collapse back together, right? So if the universe is expanding, if you reverse time, the universe would ultimately come in and collapse into itself, now, it would ultimately collapse into nothing, but nothing can't create something. So, the belief is that it collapsed into a singularity, matter, and that whatever that singularity is, is self-existent and eternal. Now, in 1978, 
Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson won the Nobel Prize for confirming the idea of this boom because they, have, they were able to determine, and I don't have enough time to explain the process, but they were able to tell that the universe is still cooling off, that if there was an explosion, then heat, hot bodies would have kind of released heat all the way into the universe, equally distributed this heat, and that there would have been a burning up, and they were able to prove, and again, won a Nobel Prize, that the universe is, in fact, cooling down. Right? We also talk about, like, the law of thermodynamics, right? It's the idea that everything decays. It's the idea that, like, uh, like the universe is like a battery. The hot bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars are all giving off heat, but at one point, it'll cool off. Everything is kind of, the universe is coming to an end. And so if there's an end, then there was a beginning. Like there's no way the sun could have shined an infinite amount of time without going out. Yeah. We'd be cold. Yeah. And here's kind of a really big key and a really important thing about the Big Bang. At the end of the day, if you have matter and matter exploded, the explosion is an effect, which means that there had to be something that caused it. And if matter is eternal, it has to be immutable, which means it has to be unchanging for it to be eternal. And so for it to be able to explode and to commence into change means that it actually isn't a cause, it's an effect. Which brings us back to the question, well, what caused it all to go boom? Now, this is what naturalists and materialists, this is kind of where naturalists, materialists, and atheists are kind of left with what is called an infinite regression of possibilities. An infinite regression of possibilities. In other words, no matter how far you go back, you continue to ask the question, well, where did that come from? And where did that come from? And where did that come from? And what you get is an infinite regression of ideas, an infinite regression of possibilities. And, and no matter how long you defer an explanation, though, an infinite deferred explanation is not an explanation at all. Right? You can say 8 billion, 10 billion, 13 billion. You can continue to defer the question, but at the end of the day, no matter how far you go back, you still have to ask the question, where did it come from? Yeah. Where did it come from? So here's what we do. So we end up with a bunch of brilliant scholars, much smarter than I, guessing and sharing some of the wildest possibilities. Seriously, like you can't make this stuff up. Let, let, me, let me show you some of some. We're just going to put it for you on video here. You can hear it from them. Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophysicist from Harvard, Right? Sounds like a pretty big deal. Listen to, listen to the possibility that he gives. Chuck, I've been public on the fact that I'm waiting for someone to convince me that we don't live in a simulation. This is, I've heard you say it. The arguments put forth have been quite convincing okay. to me. And most of the best arguments are traceable to a guy named Nick Bostrom, a philosopher at the University of Oxford. Okay. Here's the argument, right? Go ahead. Our computing power is growing rapidly. 
Right. We create simulations of worlds. We have video games with characters that are inside the video game. Right. Imagine a day where you can simulate a world so perfectly with life forms, humans, so well mm -hmm. that you can recreate every single neurosynaptic thought you could have, but now you're in the simulation on the computer. So, including the perception of free will. Well, there you have it. Because then, so now we have enough computing power to imbue the Sims inside of the program with all of the human traits that we possess now. Correct. Not only our human traits, but the world. But the world. The world itself. Right. And you don't have to have all the world existing there at all times. Right. That might be an unrealistic amount of computing power. Right. You just need enough the, of the world that they see around them. That they see around them. Right. So you want to start digging. And, oh, that's so funny. and haven't put the earth there. Just, there's a flag that goes up in the programmer, and they say, "Up, oh, need more earth." And so, right. so they put earth beneath you while you can keep digging. It's like the Truman Show. Yeah, well, for example. For, right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Or does Minecraft? You can build. Or stuff. Minecraft. Right, right, right. Oh, that is Minecraft. Right, right. Okay. God, that guy's a brilliant. So we went to the moon. All right. So I, you know, I, he, here's the here's the idea that's taking place, and what I want to show is that if the universe exists then it has always existed. And so the question becomes, where did this come from? And if you're trying to explain it in a natural way, then you're going to enter into an infinite regression of ideas, in which case you continue to put your faith in some kind of simulation story. Now, let's just continue. A man by the name of Richard Dawkins, who wrote the book, the God delusion, right? He's, he's kind of one of the key cogs in kind of what's called the new atheism. And again, he's an evolutionary biologist, an atheist. And listen, listen to his theory. Listen to his idea. Well, then who did create the heavens and the earth? Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um, by a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. What was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right, how did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What do you think is the possibility that, there, that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics or in, well, in evolution? It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization e evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, now, th that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. Mm. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a second. Richard Dawkins thought intelligent design might be a legitimate pursuit? Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. Shout out to Ben Stein, yeah? Win Ben Stein's money? Anybody ever watch that? Okay, anyways, doesn't matter. But here's, here's the idea, is that these naturalists, right, these evolutionary atheists, these, these uh, materialists, right, are trying to explain the origins of the universe 
with a natural understanding. And so what they're left to do is to continue to provide uh, an infinite regression of stories. So the question becomes though, if we were seeded by aliens, where did the aliens come from? Or, or if a designer created a sim, then where did the designer come from? And you continued to push the question back. And that's not an answer at all. Are you with me? Some folks will even dive into the multiverse. Shout out to Spider-Man. Multiple universes creating themselves and creating themselves and over and over again. And David Hume, an enlightenment philosopher, he goes in a different direction. He just believes that we just need to keep looking. He, David Hume says that in some undiscovered blip in the universe, some you know, kind of Star Trek, some yet to be seen, some yet to be discovered, unexplored place resides something which is eternal and self-existent and has the power to give being to the universe. Here's what's fascinating. Uh, educated atheists claiming possibilities of a programmer designing a sim, an alien sowing biological seed, a, a multiverse or a yet to be discovered unexplored blip in the universe which contains something that is powerful and eternal and self-existent. Guessing, hypothesizing, Faith. What great faith they have in the natural world. What great faith they have in material and naturalism to provide an answer to why or where did all of this come from. I love what NASA scientist and astronomer and agnostic, by the way, Robert Jastrow had to say in his book, God and the Astronomers. Listen to what he said. He said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. Again, an agnostic. I mean, essentially what he's saying is we've made all these discoveries. We've had all these scientific breakthroughs. We've had technological advances. We've done all these things only to climb the mountain and see for ourselves. And as they get to the top of the peak, people like Richard Dawkins only find theologians have been there for centuries. And I might add, theologians have been there for centuries Reading Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 that says, In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Theologians who know, based off of Genesis 1, that it is God who stands not in the universe, but outside of the universe, Theologians like Nobel Prize winner physics Rob Wilson, Robert Wilson, when he's talking about the Big Bang, says, certainly there was something to set it all off. I can't think of a better theory of origins of the universe to match Genesis. Thus, the cosmological argument asserts if something exists and it's not an illusion and it didn't come from nothing, 
then something has always existed. And if we can show that the universe is an effect and not a cause, if we can show that there was a beginning, which we have, and if we can show that the universe is finite, then that something that has always existed has to be outside of the universe. Otherwise, you enter into an infinite regression of guessing. And you still have to answer the question, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Unless your answer is, there is something that is outside of time, outside of space, outside of material. Unless your answer is that there is someone that is personal, powerful, self-existent, and eternal. You see, Christianity asserts that God created ec nihilio, out of nothing. Now, you might be saying, well, that's, that's violating cause and effect. How is that possible? Well, Christianity asserts that there is an uncaused cause. A cause that is non-material. Christianity asserts that before the cosmos existed, God existed outside of it. He transcends it. Christianity asserts that God is not natural, but supernatural. That God is not nature, but supernature. That God is not material, but immaterial. That he is not physical, but metaphysical. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit. John 1, 3 proclaims all things were made by him and without him was not anything that was made. Romans 4, 17 declares that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so for the cause to be uncaused, the cause has to be removed from the natural. The cause is not trapped by the universe and the laws of the universe, but he is above it and he is the one that gave it. You can't have laws without a lawgiver. You can't have design without a designer. So the question that needs to be answered is this, what, what, what story do you believe? What story do you believe? It's not real. Everything's just an illusion. It's a possibility. Or, or maybe one day, a long time ago, there was nothing. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, there was something. Or maybe the story you believe is the universe is God, that you've given transcendent, eternal, self-existent power to an immaterial thing, an impersonal thing, or to a material, impersonal thing. Or maybe you believe there's something that transcends universe, something that stands outside of time, outside of space, outside of material, an unmoved mover, an uncaused cause, a personal, powerful self-existent, eternal being that spoke life into existence. And that itself is faith. <laughs> Thank you, God. 
but at least we have a cause. So what story do you believe? What story will you believe? Now, if I could take the Bible and tell you the story of Scripture in just four chapters, we, lo- we know the Bible's a lot bigger than that. He- here's, here's how we would tell the story. Chapter one, creation. And it answers the question, where do we come from? In which the Bible responds, we came from a self-existent, eternal, personal, and powerful God who stands supernaturally outside of time and space. He is the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover. Chapter two, the fall. How did it all go wrong? When I take a look at this world, I see that things aren't right. Things are evil. Things are upside down. They're backwards. What happened? And the fall tells us that though God created his Creation rebelled against their creator. And when creature tries to become creator, creation gets messed up. Chapter three, redemption. What did God do (laughs) to make it right? What, What did he do? We messed it all up and we can't make it right ourselves. We're lost. What did he do? to make it right. Well, the scripture tells us that the immaterial put on material. We're told that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. The scripture says that the invisible became visible. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Scripture tells us that the supernatural subjected himself to the natural and allowed himself, the one who could not die, died. And he died on the cross and he hung a criminal's death, punished by the creatures he created. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's silly. Because he loves his creation. And even though his creation rebelled on the cross, Jesus suffered the punishment for that rebellion. And so that when you look at the cross, you see God suffering on your behalf. And your rebellion and your failure and your running and questioning and doubting and sinning was all put upon him. And he was punished. And you know what he gave to you? And he gave to you his perfect sinless record of righteousness. 33 and a half years He was perfect, he was pure, did not sin, did not break any laws. Though he was tempted, he did not sin. So that anybody, any of his creatures who would put their faith in Christ, who would trust the story, who would believe in that story, who put faith in that story, would be saved. And though our rebellion disconnected us from God, Jesus Christ would reconnect us. Chapter four, restoration. 
what will be the end of all things. Those who trust in the story of God and put their trust in Jesus Christ would one day live in a world that has been made new. A world that has been made new. A world that you and I have tore up, messed up, turned upside down. One day, if you put your faith in Jesus, things will be, will be in a new heaven and a new earth with God. And you know what? We'll be there bodily. It's not gonna be a spiritual thing. As, as real as you are right now, in your bodies, the new heaven and the new earth. So the question is, what story, what story will you believe? If every story at its fundamental level comes down into faith, though you can make some logical deductions and some observations at the end of the day, what story will you believe? Before I pray with you, let us take a moment to process and respond to the majesty of God.
before, and man, before we dismiss, um, before we dismiss, I just, I'm gonna pray with you, but just three, three things. I think number one is next week, uh, we'll be discovering the moral argument for the existence of God. And Pastor Roger, like apologetics is his thing. So I wanna, I wanna just encourage you to be here. But I wanna challenge you, would you invite somebody? Would you invite somebody? Would you bring maybe somebody struggling with their faith? Or maybe someone who's a skeptic and has questions. Um, secondly, I wanna direct you to our resource center right out there. As you know, we kind of provide books throughout the year. And this month's featured book is The Reason for God by Pastor Timothy Keller. I just think like every believer should read this. Like the new year is coming. Maybe put this on your list to read. Um, if you're here maybe struggling with your own faith, mark this up, take notes. Or how about this? As a Christian, be on mission. What would it look like for you to actually buy somebody a skeptic or someone you know who might be struggling with their faith, this book? And here's what mission might look like. What would it look like for you to buy it for them? Say, let's read it together. Let's have coffee. Let's talk. I really hope that Inspired Church is starting to learn to live a life on mission outside of Sunday morning service. Like this is not it. And so this is a great way for you to move in that direction for yourself or for somebody else. It'll be out there for you with a QR code. So you can just pull up right, the, um, you can pull up the link, purchase the book. Last thing I wanna say is this and we'll pray. If you're in this room and you feel far from God, can I pray with you? If you're in this room and you're a Christian and you feel far from God, can I tell you this? There's no reason to feel far from him because Christ has brought you close. And so that's condemnation. You're allowing condemnation to lie to you and tell you that your sin has separated you from God when Christ has brought you together. And so chances are, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, but you feel far from God, it's probably because you're feeling guilty about a sin or a failure or the way that you're living your life. But I want you to know it's not about you. It's about Christ. And so would you just acknowledge your sin? Would you just repent? And would you take your eyes off of you and put it back on Jesus? Number two, if you're feeling far from God because you're not a believer, it's really simple. Put your faith in Jesus. I'm offering you an opportunity to put your trust in the story of Jesus Christ. What is that story? The story is that Jesus walked this earth perfectly. And that he, on that cross when he hung, we believe by faith that he was being punished for our sin. And so that he took the punishment we deserve upon himself. And that he gave to us his perfection. So that when God looks down, he doesn't see us sinners dirty, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so we're saved by faith in that. And so today, if you don't know Jesus, this is an invitation to begin to trust, believe that that story is true. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, be saved. And so Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for this room. I pray for the Christians who feel far. Lord, we, we rebuke the lie of the devil 
and we declare that the cross of Christ has brought together what has been separated. And if we are in Christ, no one can separate us from the Father. And so I pray that we would repent of any sin, any idolatry, any, any failure, Lord. Yes, we have made mistakes. Yes, we had strayed, but your love and your blood is unwithering and unfailing. You are close and near to us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, there's anyone in this room, Lord God, that has never trusted in the story of Christ, that we would say, yes, I believe. I doubt my doubts. And I believe in examination of all these stories. I put my faith in the story of Christ. He is worthy. And Lord, may Inspire Church be a church that goes beyond this Sunday. The Bay Area needs you. Our coworkers need you. Our families, our neighbors need you. We are full-time ministers of the gospel when we leave this place. So Lord, will we be a church on mission so that you would get all honor and all glory so that the Bay Area would know Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Be with us as we leave this place. May we not leave your presence. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you at 11 a.m. God bless you, Inspire Family. Enjoy your Sunday.